They corrupt the minds of lesser people and possess a will to defend themselves. Hello and welcome to Visions of the Past. My name is Andrew and I am the host of this Assassin's Creed lore podcast. This is episode 35 and today we're going to talk about the devices that Pythagoras was talking about with his quote, the Atlantis Artifacts. An interesting piece of Isu technology, the artifacts are only shown in one game, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It was here that we find out that the artifacts were used to open the mechanisms that sealed the gateway to the lost city, an Isu vault that lay beneath the Greek island of Thera. Though it wasn't like you could just go and find these artifacts and place them in their respective location within the vault, they had a protection about them. This protection was part of a grander Isu project that was called the Olympos Project. The Olympos Project was a scientific experiment by Juno and her husband Aida to develop a series of beasts that were meant to be living weapons to strike fear into humans as the tensions between the humans and Isu were escalating, eventually leading to war. The project was largely successful. The creations outlived the Isu themselves and ended up being legends in ancient Greek culture. However, not all the beasts created within the Olympos project would go on to use their artifacts for the sealing of the gateway, though. The four used are the Cyclops, known as Brantes, the Withering Dread, the Minotaur, and the Sphinx. Two others that are known to be from the Olympos project are the Cyclops Styropus and Argus. And there are three that are unconfirmed, and I say unconfirmed, because we only see them within the simulations that Aletheia created to teach Cassandra and Layla about the powers of the staff of Hermes Trismegistus and the dangers of societies based on order and chaos. These three are Cerberos, Lycanthropes, and Hecaronchies. Before we get into the artifacts themselves, I want to take a minute and talk about the basis for the choices behind the monsters that were chosen to be part of the Olympos Project starting with the three that are unconfirmed. In Greek mythology, Cerberus is a multi-headed dog that guards the gates of the underworld to prevent the dead from leaving. Descriptions of Cerberus vary, usually described as three-headed, but not always, with a serpent for a tail and snakes protruding from multiple parts of his body. Cerberus is the offspring from the multi-snake-headed Typhon and the half-woman, half-snake Echidna. He was the brother of the multi-snake-headed Linarian Hydra, the two-headed dog Orthrus, and the Chimera, who itself had three heads, one of a lion, one of a goat, and one of a snake. Besides being the guardian of the gates of the underworld, Cerberus is best known for being captured by Heracles during his twelve labors. Interesting side note about these labors, they also saw Heracles killing the Linarian Hydra and Orthus. Lycanthropes, also known as werewolves, were humans with the ability to shapeshift into a wolf, either on purpose or from some kind of curse. Found throughout European folklore, the word werewolf comes from the Old English words were, meaning man, and wolf, spelled with a U instead of an O, which meant wolf, while the term lycanthropy comes from the ancient Greek. One of the ancient Greek records of men changing into wolves is in Herodotus's Histories, where he wrote about the Nori 
a tribe that he placed in the northeast of Tithea, that all transformed into wolves once a year for several days, and then changed back. Pausanias also tells a story about King Laocon of Arcadia, who was transformed into a wolf because he had sacrificed a child at the altar of Zeus Lysias. Another version of that story shows Zeus turning the king into a wolf because the king wanted to test Zeus by killing a Molosian hostage and serving Zeus his guts. Depending on the location of the lore, sometimes you would see the lycanthrope transformation being permanent or temporary, often larger than regular wolves and lacking a tail. The last of the unconfirmed beasts, the Hecaronchis, which translates into a hundred-handed ones or hundred-handers, within the Greek myths there were three of these beasts, Cadus, Briaris, and Yigas, and each were described as having fifty heads and one hundred arms. Thought to be the offspring of Uranus and Gaia, alongside the twelve titans and the three cyclopes, they played into the pantheon succession myths of ancient Greece the standard version of which saw them imprisoned by Uranus till after his fall by Kronos. Gaia foretold that Zeus, Kronos' son, would win the war with Kronos and the Titans with the help of the Hecaronchis. This would give Zeus successful control of the cosmos and led Zeus to set them free to fight alongside the Olympians against the Titans. After the war, the Titans were imprisoned in Tartarus and the Hecaronchis would serve as their guards. There are three different groups of cyclopes within Greek myth. The three found in Hesod's Theogony, the uncivilized group of shepherds found in Homer's Odyssey, and the builders of the cyclopean walls of Mycenae and Tyrans. Each were said to be giant one-eyed creatures that lacked intelligence. The group that inspired the cyclops in Assassin's Creed Odyssey were the three found in Hesod's Theogony. Brothers Brontes, Steropus, and Argies were the three Cyclops offsprings of Kronos and Gaia, and their story goes much like the Hecaronchis, imprisoned by Kronos and later freed by Zeus. But instead of fighting like the Hecaronchis, they created Zeus's iconic weapon, the lightning bolt. Their names, as given by Hesod, reflect the fundamental role as the makers of the lightning bolt. Argies, meaning bright, Brontes, meaning thunder, and Steropus, meaning lightning. This led to the three being known as Argies the Bright One, Brontes the Thunderer, and Steropus the Lightning Bringer within Assassin's Creed Odyssey. The Rithering Dread, another beast protecting the artifacts, is based on the myths of the Gorgons. In Greek mythology, there were three Gorgon sisters, Stino, Eurali, and Medusa, all children of Forces and his sister Keto. Each were generally described as winged human females with living venomous snakes for hair and eyes that turned people into stone. Medusa, specifically, was an important part of the myth of Perseus, who beheaded Medusa and used her head as a weapon because it had retained its ability to turn people into stone. He eventually gave it to the goddess Athena to place on her shield. The Minotaur, in ancient Greek myth, is a man with the head and tail of a bull, in the story of Theseus, the Minotaur would dwell at the end of the labyrinth, an elaborate maze-like structure that was designed by Daedalus and his son Icarus for King Minos of Crete to hold the beast. Eventually, Theseus traveled the labyrinth, killed the Minotaur, 
and then returned home with black sails on his ship. This caused his father, King Aegeus, to throw himself into the sea because he thought his son was dead. Now that sea is named after him. The death of his father would then secure the throne of Athens for Theseus. The Sphinx is shown in a handful of ancient civilization myths, most notably the Egyptian and Greek myths. The Sphinx, guarding the artifacts in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, is based on the Greek version, described by Apollodorus as having a woman's face and the body and tail of a lion with the wings of a bird. According to Izad, she was the daughter of Orthus and neither Echidna, the Chimera, or Quito. Apollodorus and Lazus thought she was the daughter of Echidna and Typhon. It was said that the Sphinx guarded the entrance to the city of Thebes within Greece and asked a riddle to travelers to allow passage. The riddle itself wasn't standardized until late in Greek history. It was also said around the same time that Hera or Ares had sent the Sphinx to Thebes from Ethiopia to attack all who would not answer her riddle. The first to answer her riddle was Oedipus, and after correctly answering, the Sphinx is said to have thrown herself from a high rock to her death or devoured herself. In Assassin's Creed lore, these myths are based on the beasts of the Olympios Project. Each of them were destined to die at the hands of Cassandra. The Atlantis artifacts themselves, held by the Cyclops Brontes, the Withering Dread, the Minotaur, and the Sphinx, all seem to be extra special. When someone bested the beast and retrieved the artifact from the monster, it turned them into the beast. However, when Cassandra defeated the monsters, she was able to keep from changing because of her high level of Isu DNA. Returning each of the artifacts, which themselves look like apples of Eden when not activated, together with the staff of Hermes Trismegistus, they sealed the gateway to the lost city, keeping the sunken city of Atlantis safe. What's most interesting about the Atlantis artifacts within Assassin's Creed isn't that they're a unique way to present monsters of Greek myths, but what happens once Cassandra starts to place the artifacts within its respective gateway. When a gate is activated, a message plays from Aletheia. The way that Aletheia is presented, it's hard to tell if she's living within the staff or within the Lost Gateway, but these messages are clearly recordings within the Lost Gateway. The first recording is of Aletheia calling out to her fellow Isu, claiming to take control over the recordings. Still, it's unclear who the recordings belong to in the first place. She claims to call out to the Isu for their treatment of humans, wondering why they were treated so badly, telling the Isu to look at what humans have achieved on their own. If the Isu had treated them as equals, they could have shared in great things like democracy and diplomacy, culture and art. But it was in a desperate search for immortality that they ignored the obvious, that the simulations the Isu ran were pointless. Change is coming, but it's not an end of the world. Lethia then asks if the Isu had not pulled on the threads of the universe in the first place, would the end of the world even had appeared? The message ends with Lethia asserting herself as an Isu and stating that she'd take over and not be part of the other's exploitation. The second message sees Aletheia reaching out to Cassandra, claiming she's trying to help her. She says that the other Isu put endless challenges in her path, to the point that it got out of hand. Aletheia goes on to tell Cassandra not to give up, that she is more important than she can imagine, finishing this message by offering Cassandra hope 
that she would rebel against her destiny and calling her a hero for the ages and that everything terrible and beautiful is her birthright and that she should take it. The third message has Alethea talking to Cassandra's father, Pythagoras, telling him that he has stretched his life to the breaking point and that he is hiding from the world trying to figure out the equations of reality itself, claiming that it's clear to her that the small dose of cosmic understanding twisted his mind, and she condemned the Isu for sharing knowledge he wasn't ready for. Alethea went on to say that the Isu turned his intellect to their selfish means, and that he needed to make his own legacy, to let his mathematical discoveries shine past his tomb, and that it's time to pass the staff of Hermes Trismegistus along to someone else, and allow them to balance the equations. Alethea's final message was for Layla Hassan herself, congratulating her on how far she's come, stating that others might not understand, but that their simulated realities will cross. She even plays into her issues with the bleeding effect, asking if Layla thinks she's really in that point of time, asking how far the ripples of the simulation spread, and that it's time to stop thinking by the Isu's rules, and instead she should forge a new path to start an era of creation, not control. Alethea has gathered other Isu that think like she does, and together they will stop interfering and start enabling the human race. From Layla's point of view, it will take a long time to prepare, but when she is ready, she's welcome to join them, as all she would have to do is run another simulation. The Atlantis artifacts seem to be minor with an Assassin's Creed Odyssey at first look. However, when you start to see the messages that they produce, along with the monsters that they are tied to, and the project that created those monsters, you start to see the larger role that they have to play within the lore of Assassin's Creed. While I'm not a fan of combining Project Olympos with the Atlantis artifacts, it at least gives a reason for the monsters beyond the four protectors of the artifacts. One of the things that I really enjoy about Assassin's Creed is their versions of why myths and legends became myth and legend be it ancient civilizations' pantheons actually being a precursor race, or these mythological beasts being created to scare humans and protect the gate of Atlantis. The really important bits about the Atlantis artifacts to me doesn't come from the artifacts themselves or Project Olympos, though that does create an interesting excuse for every single mythic beast in every mythology, but in messages that come from Aletheia after putting the artifacts in their rightful place. She definitely chastises the Isu for meddling in the affairs of the universe, and also seemingly manipulates Cassandra, Pythagoras, and Layla to do her bidding. Telling Pythagoras to pass off the staff and saying Cassandra would become a hero for the ages, even with all the things that she's been through. And finally, preying on Layla's addiction to the Animus and her issues with the bleeding effect. It's hard for me to believe anything that she's saying, even where her consciousness is located but it's clear to me she has an endgame, and that Layla is a major part of it. Can't wait to find out more about her and her goals within Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Thank you for joining me today. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes. If you love Visions of the Past podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions about Assassin's Creed lore, or topics you'd like me to cover, please feel free to hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at visions underscore ac and you can find those links in this episode's show notes until next time my assassin friends make sure to follow the creed 
And to those Templars listening, may the Father of Understanding guide you.